Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright, suffering under 70 years of emotion. <laughs> Today, we are talking about Minute 114, which begins with Fury approaching Steve and ends with a three-hand hold. Joining us on the show today, it's Austin Titchener from the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Hello, Austin. Good morning, gentlemen. Welcome. I, too, feel like I've been asleep for 70 years. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever, when you were a kid, or it seemed to be something that when you were a kid, but, like, did you ever have one of those, like, afternoon naps, and then you your body was just really tired and you didn't realize it, and your parents just kind of let you continue sleeping like until the next morning and you wake up and you're like so disoriented like what is going on you've you've pretty much just um made me realize that my family treats me like a child today <laughs> andy that's never stopped <laughs> well getting out of bed is the is the thing i hate the most in my day so i hate naps because that means i have to get out of bed twice <laughs> <laughs> The worst, the absolute worst. I can't imagine doing it after a 70-year nap, 70-year nap. That's an incredible silver lining, actually. Cap has saved himself 70 years of getting out of bed. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's true. Always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we left the last minute. Uh, Nick Fury had just shown up and uh, approaches Steve. Uh, doesn't introduce himself. He just... Uh, I, is it that he carries the, a note of authority that Steve, who, you know, was from the 40s, kind of was a military man, um, is it just that Fury carries a note of authority with his persona that makes him kind of stop and listen to him and not just immediately start fighting or running, which he had been doing? Is there a little part of you that, may, that thinks maybe he's never seen a guy dressed in quite so much leather? And he thinks he might be some sort of an alien. Is it all is it all related to Nick Fury's alternate origins as a World War Two soldier? You know, game recognizes game. Game recognizes yeah, right. game. Outstanding. <laughs> Considering, yeah, we've already met the Howling Commandos. Maybe there's just a feel like I feel like you were a part of something that I knew. And you were yeah, there yeah, and you right. were there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, if only we had that moment. We could have seen their faces in the crowd behind Nick. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing <laughs> thing. And I hadn't thought about that until you brought it up, that, that, that Nick Fury's character has evolved over the course of the comics. Because I used to love, I was a DC kid growing up. And but I loved Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. That was somehow the, the Marvel comic that I was into the most. Oh, really? I think I think you're hmm. the first person who's like really brought that up as one that you really gravitated to. So that's great uh, getting your perspective on that then. So it was thrilling for me to see at least the Howling, well, to see what they've done with Nick Fury, first of all, in all the movies, but then to see the Howling Commandos embodied in this movie. I'm still waiting for more movies or maybe a series about the Howling Commandos. Right. Yeah, no kidding. Totally. Yeah, I mean, Nick Fury obviously changed quite a bit. And I, I do think that there is something interesting about your perspective there about like bringing in that element that, you know, this is a character that had been around in kind of that era. Um, and it is Samuel L. Jackson, and he certainly carries a, a certain weight. And I think that's something that I really enjoy in him as Nick Fury in these films. Well, and also Nick Fury's appearance, he's a, he's a sort of a Fury ex machina. And, and he's the one, <laughs> he, his appearance changes the movie. 
turns the movie into something else. It's been so many things as we've as we've gone on. Now it becomes a superhero movie in the final minute, only in the final minute. It's been a coming of age story. It's been a love story. It's been a war movie. It's been a kind of a sci-fi action quest for the MacGuffin movie. And now the musical element. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see how it's (laughs) going to be all connected. That's it is very cool to see that kind of growth with the film and i mean it's a shift of the time obviously the film had been taking place in the 40s and now it's oh okay now we see how this character ties into these present day stories that we had been watching up to this point and so yeah that's an interesting uh, shift that we have there well and what better way to demonstrate that from a perspective of production design than setting this right in the center of Times Square. One, what a nightmare working clearance on this uh, particular (laughs) sequence. Uh, But uh, I I think when you talk about changing this into a superhero movie and specifically changing this into an Avengers movie, Times Square evokes so much of the color and busyness that is that that we now know as the Avengers tone, the Whedon tone, the, you know, whatever we want to call what comes next and makes for a perfect uh, uh, transitional uh, element into the liminal space that we know we'll have for a couple of years before we actually get the movie. Uh, It's great. The color, I think, is a key element, too. And I like that you said the busyness and that definitely this it's insane how busy this area feels like just just looking at all the the billboards and the flashing lights and the people and the cars and the tall buildings like everything just feels like uh like so intense for somebody coming into this who had just been um you know in the 40s and seeing the realities of the time there to suddenly be thrust into this uh, it's it's quite uh i can imagine it's a shock to the system and and your perspective of like coming into it tying it into kind of like that feel of the Avengers. Absolutely. But also, I think, you know, this is the first time in the film that we've kind of lost that sepia look that Joe Johnston really loved uh, throughout the entirety of this film. And and now we're in this present day um, period and that's gone. And now it's just flashing lights and bright colors. And I think that also kind of ties into that superhero feel. It's it's an interesting look. And I I, I like the way that Johnston plays that. It, it just carries that shift, which is uh, what we needed for the character. Now, uh, Austin, your uh, your your background, uh, you may be a, a Howling Commandos fan, but Shakespeare is certainly kind of uh, your bread and butter and certainly uh, something that you're involved in quite a bit um, in talking about this film. And you've already mentioned some of that, but you were talking a little bit about like the different tones that this film has carried over the course of of its runtime and how that's kind of also something that Shakespeare would play around with. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. It's 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 one of the things I love most about this movie, and I think I I think I liked it more when it came out than many people did, um, and I like it even more once the Avengers storyline came to an end, and you went back to this movie and you see how much is threaded in and just part of the character's DNA from the from the beginning of his cinematic journey. Shakespeare's plays are categorized broadly as they were in the very I'm going to I'll get slightly nerdy here. They were they were <laughs> they were first collected in an omnibus edition that we know as the first folio in 1623 almost exactly 400 years ago and they were categorized his plays into comedies, tr- histories, and tragedies, and that's an easy 
way to clarify the three of all the all the plays, but all of the plays are so much more than just those easy categories. The comedies have intense pain and grief. The tragedies and the histories have surprising amounts of comedy. Some of them are coming of age stories. Some of them are love stories. Some of them are adventure. Some of them are farcical. Shakespeare mixed his tones all the time. And I thought this was a very original idea on my part. <laughs> but then I saw <laughs> that in, in 1765, Samuel Johnson wrote in his preface to Shakespeare that, quote, Shakespeare's plays are not in the rigorous and critical sense, either tragedies or comedies, but compositions of a distinct kind that approach nearer than either to the appearance of life. And I think that is one of the great things about this movie in particular, and some of my favorite bits of pop culture, is that I like comedies with meat on the bone, driven by seriousness and pain, and I like serious movies leavened by moments of levity. And this has that Captain America first Avengers has all of this, the the mix of comedy and drama and romance. And for me, I in my previous, well, not even my previous life, sort of my current life. I'm also a casting director. I'm looking for actors all the time for the reduced Shakespeare company. And so to see this combination of actors in this movie, not just beautiful Chris Evans and uh, 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 and uh, Studley stalwart Samuel L. Jackson, but he, you know, Hugo <laughs> Weaving and Stanley Tucci and Tommy Lee Jones, all in this ridiculous summer superhero movie. I love it all. <laughs> it's, it, it is fantastic. It's funny. Uh, you know, give me a chance to bring Tom Hanks in and I always will. Um, the way that you were describing <laughs> that, um, the tagline for the Tom Hanks movie, nothing in common, which is, you know, it's just a, a favorite of mine, even though, I don't think it's as well regarded, but I still really enjoy it. But the tagline is, it's a comedy and a drama just like life. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that encompasses so much about it. And it's interesting also, I, I feel like there's an interesting element that the Marvel films uh, slowly started kind of adapting to, which I think continues what you were just saying, where even genre crossing, like they, they started figuring out, okay, it doesn't have to just be a superhero movie. What if it's a superhero heist movie? And let's do that for Ant-Man. What if, what if it's a superhero spy thriller? We'll do that in Captain America, the, the Winter Soldier. And starting to kind of cross genres too. And I think that's um, it was nice to see coming into the superhero genre because sometimes they do start feeling um, a little bit the same. And so having some changes like that was kind of nice. Yeah. And setting it at a different period, I thought, uh, was fantastic too. This is not just all a modern stuff. And I love the, I love the notion that superheroes in quotes go back a long time. Heroism goes back a long time, the origins of these stories. And the other thing I loved about this, all the movies really, but also this movie and this minute particularly is one of the great things about Shakespeare's greatest plays is that even in, say, the histories, he has, he humanizes these iconic characters. Sometimes in the case of Richard III, he takes a, a, a king who was probably no, nowhere as evil as he made him out to be, but he turns him into a, 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 a 
a villain that you sort of root for and understand where his pain comes from. And here we've got a hero that all he wants to do, he doesn't want to save the world. He just wants to go dancing with his girlfriend. You know, I love that final line. It just brings it right back to Cap's humanity. Well, and to the, to your point about, I, I know I've said this before on the show, but to your point about the the overall cap arc, uh, like we we can't disregard the fact that not just when the Avengers storyline comes to an end, it's it's like you know eighteen movies from now, right? It's it is a very very long and patient arc to get us back to. I had a date to get us back to. We get to see a dance, yeah. You know, like that that makes this movie that much more rewarding as the first part of this bookend. Well, and two two of the greatest payoffs in that movie are that final dance and on your left. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's another Shakespearean trick here that they use, and I don't even know who to credit it to, the the writers, Joe Johnson or whatever, but but bringing in Fury at the end, uh, it's almost as if Fury is a Shakespearean character called Epilogue. Shakespeare would do this occasionally. He would bring on a character known as Epilogue, and you don't know who it is. It, I think depending on the production, it could be the any actor who played any character to come on to explain what happened and what's going to happen next. In Henry the Fourth, Part Two, a character called Epilogue literally comes out and says, "Our humble author will continue the story with Sir John Falstaff in it." Shakespeare promised. A sequel. The audience, what was going to happen next. (laughs) And Fury is absolutely doing that duty here. Well, it's funny. It's like they've used Fury a number of times before doing that, right? Because we had him in Iron Man doing essentially the same thing. Exactly. He's been very very well used, Nick Fury. Yeah. Well, and it really speaks to, I suppose, I mean, you know, post-credit sequences have been around long before Marvel, but not really used in as interesting a way and kind of a way that really sets you up for a continuation of introducing new characters or a new plot thread or whatever the case may be at the very end of a movie or or maybe mid-credits or whatever it is. But that's it's interesting that that kind of goes back to even Shakespeare's days. Well, and 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 also we we took a look at that extended scene as well. Right, right. Yeah. And that relates to Shakespeare production now. It was so valuable to see that because nobody wants an explanation of how did this happen. <laughs> nobody wants that. Shakespeare's plays are filled with explanations because because a lot of times Shakespeare would repeat, he would repeat things so as to repeat information for the audience. And you cut that stuff now. Hopefully, the good productions cut that stuff now. But they would also, Shakespeare would write down, because the actors had very little rehearsal, he would write down the stage directions in the dialogue. So a character would say, I see you bow to me, but please rise. And so the actor would know, oh, I shoot, I better bow. <laughs> I guess I better be bowing. Right. <laughs> I better be bowing now. Um but what the the comparing the extended scene to the final scene is a beautiful bit of um, 
dare I say, reduction on the uh, on the screenwriters or the editors part when they realize, you know what, we don't need any of this, hardly any of this. Um, and which is a, a, a great lesson in economy and storytelling. Just get to the point. For those who uh, haven't seen the extended scene, uh, it's basically a lot more dialogue between Nick Fury. He kind of introduces himself. He tells him, I'm with S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, you would know us as SSR. He talks about World War II and that we won. And it's kind of a whole setup about how we still need Cap. But yeah, I mean, to your point, watching the two of them, it is very interesting. And I suppose there are elements to, uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot with how do these superheroes know how to use their powers without having a training montage or a montage showing us that they've done it. And, you know, what Pete and I have kind of talked about over the course of these these shows is that we saw Iron Man do that in the first film. We saw him trying the different suits and figuring out how to use it. And that kind of, to a large extent, became the training montage for so many subsequent superheroes. Like, we know that they go through this process. We just don't necessarily need to see it. It's a shorthand. And all of that conversation is like, we already know who Nick Fury is. We carry He carries the weight, and we talked about that at the beginning of this conversation. But still, like, we don't need to have him introduce himself. It's like, we're carrying all that information they can just get to the point and it just it makes the flow so much faster and and makes for a, we want to get to that ending at this point. Yeah. And I'm sure you've talked about this in previous minutes, but Cap's training montage is a musical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. it's and it's phenomenal and funny. And you see the evolution <laughs> of not only his not only his powers, but his sort of um his uh, comfort and confidence on stage as a hero. You see them, you see his growth as a hero, which is really funny. And I also love another Shakespearean thing. The, uh, Fury's first line in this final minute is, I'm sorry about that performance there. Yeah. The plays <laughs> within plays, the performances within the performance you're watching is a very Shakespearean trope, not just in Hamlet, but in many things, in many plays. Shall we have a play extempore from Henry Four Part One, where they role play, they play act all this stuff. And to see, to see, uh, you know, a rugged superhero um, having to learn lines and speeches and dance moves, that's hysterical <laughs> to me. Yeah. And I, and and I love that level of acknowledging that it just acknowledges that, hey, we're watching a movie and nobody's pretending we're not watching a movie. Right. We're, right, we're right, now right. going to put a musical mo- montage right. in this movie. <laughs> Enjoy. Well, and the fact that they've leaned into that joke so uh, repetitively yeah. over the years, right, that we've gotten the Thor plays with Matt Damon and we've gotten the uh, that they've come back to that twice all the way to um, the Winter Soldier uh, where we have the actual Avengers musical on Broadway, right? That brings us all back to this moment. <laughs> Here we are in New York, in in, uh, in Manhattan. Yeah, and everybody was some certain people were complaining about that in Haw- Hawkeye the series. Yeah, I I highlight Hawkeye, big right. huge highlight for me. Huge and and like those complaints disregard the fact like they just they're complaining about Hawkeye because of what like that's the that's the the hard collision of expectations to reality, right? That there was a picture of what a Hawkeye should be and because it wasn't is is disappointing. But the truth is, when you look at the, the sort of um, uh, cultural genetics of Hawkeye that got us to that show, it very much comes from the DNA of the MCU. 
that we've established already. And I, I think that's that starts at, at scenes like this, the play within a play, the leaning in on the musical numbers like those things have been there all along. So. I, I think it's a it's a real highlight to why I'm a fan of the MCU. Well, and particularly with Hawkeye, and honestly, a little bit with Cap, you know, minus the super serum, is that these are DIY heroes. These yeah. don't have, you know, right. magical <laughs> right. powers or space suits or anything. They're not gods. They're mortal. They're mortal men, but with embrace skills. And th- I, I would argue that theater is also DIY and part of the joy and magic <laughs> of theater is that we know it's pretend. I'm going to put on this silly hat and now I'm this character. I'm going to put on this stupid cheap wig and now I'm this character, you know, and everybody accepts that as part of the suspension of disbelief. And that it, it, it means that actors and audience alike are in on the make believe in on the pretend love. Well, that was, I think, a fun element of this film is how Steve kind of he recognized that there were elements of his Captain America persona that worked in general, like as kind of like, you know, you know, instilling fear into enemies or just protecting himself or whatever it is. And when he goes on that very first mission, when he's over in Europe, he takes his stage shield with him and he puts on one of the helmets that one of the, the dancers wears and he goes into battle with those elements too. And so, and even like he has the cheeky lines, like when he, when the howling commandos first meet him, he's, they're like, can you do this alone? He's like, I've punched Hitler over 500 or 200 times. whatever it is. <laughs> and so it's like, he's bringing those elements of that, that training that he's had, as you said, kind of that persona into this role. And like, you know, he acknowledges, I kind of wear a funny little outfit, but I think that there's something to that about kind of creating that persona. And I I really enjoy that with him. You're right. And that there's power in this funny little outfit. Yeah. It's, It's ridiculous. And you may feel stupid the first time you put it on, but it means something. People recognize something in that. And thank goodness, I I think this movie also sets up perfectly Steve's innate goodness. Very much. Yeah. Right. And um, um, his I, I was about to call it naivete, but it's not naivete. It's just he's a good man. Yeah. Uh, and that and that shows through that shows through and. He knows what works. He's not trying to um, uh, befuddle people. He's tried to bring use his own goodness to bring out the goodness in others. Well, this gets to, to another point on theater, which I think is is really important and and possibly a dig at coming Marvel movies. <laughs> I think so much of what, you know, you mentioned the funny hat, uh, so much of what works in uh, in theater and I think in movies is not that I look at you, character, and I see all of the trappings of a superhero, but that when you put on that hat, you're able to convince me that you're a superhero through the craft and performance. And so much of what Cap has done in this movie is exactly that. Pick up a stage shield and then through his actions demonstrate that he's a superhero. And, uh, you know, we can in filmmaking get lost in the uh, the trappings of character and less the performance of character. This movie is the other way around. I mean, this is a stage. If you look at it as a stage performance, the craft is not in how articulate a designed costume you have, but in how well the performer is able to actually convince you with just a hat that I'm another person. Right. Well, and that's a that that's a really compelling theme going into the MCU series, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
Ooh, you know, true. because you see how the costume can be manipulated for, you know, nefarious purposes, how the costume and the identity and how it means something to wear this costume and the burdens of it for um, uh, 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 Anthony Mackey's character, whose name I forget. Sam Wilson. Yeah, Sam. Sam. Uh, that, but there is an, an interesting element there about because Sam is very reticent to put it on. Like he carries like his everything that Steve um, carried as far as representing the role of Captain America. I mean, Sam was so reticent to put uh, put that on, to carry the shields, to be kind of associated with that that persona because of the weight that it did carry. And so that's it's interesting. And that's also a very theatrical thing. And obviously, it's something that's carried into film, too. But the idea of passing an item from one person to another and kind of the gravitas, the weight that that item can carry because of what it represents. And I, I'm sure Shakespeare used that quite a bit, but I know it's a very theatrical thing. No, that idea of the totem, the crown, uh, the, the, the mantles of power, um, it, uh, assuming power is a very Shakespearean theme, um, because of, uh, uh, not only, not only just in the realm of kings and, and, and princes going, I don't want to be a king or I really want to be the king. It's just, there are changes in fortune and status in Shakespeare all the time. I mean, I mean, I, you could argue that that's, that's a fundamental theme in most of dramatic literature changes in status um and and these and bearing the mantles of power is very much an mcu theme absolutely we played with that a little bit in in uh, one of our our second most recent reduced shakespeare company show was called the william shakespeare's long lost first play abridged and i i i might have talked about this on our previous uh, movie minute but but it imagined that all of shakespeare's characters and stories and plot lines were part of an extended SCU, a Shakespeare cinematic universe. <laughs> Shakespeare cinematic universe. Everybody was um, so related, great. and 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 so it was great fun mixing and matching the different characters opposite each other in the way that I think that the M- MCU and particularly in the series are is really fun. Be- but when it when it matches different heroes with different other heroes and you find what sort of rhythms there are again going to to back to hawkeye you know one of the greatest things is that black widow sister coming in with um uh uh, hawkeye the new hawkeye hawkeye uh hawkeye squared yelena and Haley steinfeld's character i should really bone up on this stuff (laughs) 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 it's well yeah there's a there's definitely a a comic book thing too, not just the films, but that's something that I think Marvel and I'm sure DC and, and a lot of these comic books have played with um, many times over the years of crossing those those different characters into each other's stories and seeing how they end up conflicting or relating and can they get along or are they going to fight? And I mean, we've seen the, the films, we've seen it in many comic books. It's, it's uh, I don't know, I think it's almost... Um, uh, more common in comics now than it than it has been probably but, um, it's an interesting element that we we see and and obviously that whole idea of team-ups um is an important thing well and i and i know i said this the last time i'm pretty sure i did but to repeat it for people who didn't hear it is 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 that one reason that i do love the mcu is um is that it is corporate storytelling 
at its highest level corporate serialized storytelling that is you know there are hits and misses and there are high spots and there are low spots but it is popular entertainment done with craft and soul and Shakespeare was the was the MCU of his day. Shakespeare was a commercial storyteller and he is raised has been over the decades raised up as high art, but he was absolutely populist and he made his money by putting butts in seats um and he was there to entertain the masses and the fact that he brought soul and heart and great um, artistry to it means that we're still reading and performing his plays 400 years later, you know, in a way that I think these movies are going to last. And certainly these characters are going to last. There will come a time, maybe not in our lifetime, when they will reboot Iron Man. You know, they will do it again, right? Oof, Austin, well, too they, soon. Too soon. too soon, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen in our lifetimes, but I bet it'll yeah. happen. And I have no problem yeah. with that. At least let us get through with this show, please. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I, you know, people that, oh, how can you recast yeah. this character? How can you rethink this character? We do it all the time. They're not set in stone. Yeah, and, and theater is that way. And, and I, I think for a lot of actors, there's an excitement of being able to portray a particular character because of what it carries and because of the opportunities it gives them to play that character. And, and so, yeah, I think there's opportunity there. I see criticisms of The Crown, the current fifth season of The Crown. People talk about, oh, none of these people look like nothing like their characters. And, I'm, and I've just watched the first episode, but I went, yeah, you're right. They don't. It's not a documentary. It's a it's a these are actors. <laughs> right. It's they're they're embodying the essence. I, I maybe maybe just because of my theater background, I have less of a problem with people having to look like a specific image in a, in in the viewer's head. Yeah. Well, and because of the legacy of cinema, right? I mean, you there are for a long time, I think, and and to this day, right? There is this assumption that laying down a performance of a particular powerful, you know, character is the performance for the ages, mm. not like a character like, oh, my God, how badly do I want to play Willie Loman? Right. I want to put my stamp on Willie Loman. Right. That's just a very different thing. There are myriad Willie Lomans out there and they all bring their different thing. I think now we're getting to the to the point where more and more of these reboots are coming so frequently that we're seeing more franchises becoming James Bond yeah. than ever before. Right. Where we have a guy comes on, he plays four or five episodes or four or five movies and then it's someone else. And we've all acclimated to that. Why shouldn't you know, we we give others a chance for new stories. So, well, and actually, this very theme that we're talking about is the subject of uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, the the the, right. the role exactly. of Captain America is now falling to Sam and his his feelings about playing that role are complex and complicated. And that's the subject of the movie and I, the series. And I was there for it completely. Well, in Black Widow, too, we have we now know because of legacy, there are lots yeah. of Black Widows and <laughs> they and so we'll never be without a Black Widow, even though we might be without a Scar Joe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and if, if if I can bring it back to the m final minute here, just a little bit, one of the <laughs> other you. things I <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but one of the things I love about that minute is that it ends on that simple. Um, I had a date line 
from Steve and then goes immediately into, you know, rambunctious, robust, patriotic, back to superhero. And that immediate clash of tones, I think, is, again, fundamental to Shakespeare and the MCU. These two things ride up, ride right up against each other and you get whiplash going from one to the other and for me that's part of the fun what was the equivalent of the war effort for shakespeare oh, the wars of the roses probably <laughs> you know you mean what they're trying uh, uh, what they're trying to yeah like what was shakespeare's i want you poster right like what <laughs> like how because if if shakespeare was fundamentally populist as you say then he was also like fundamentally riding the tides of current events insofar as current events are spread, you know, in, in Shakespeare's period. Yeah. So how did that work? His poster was Queen Elizabeth is great. And so are all his, her ancestors. <laughs> and all her opponents were vile, despicable humans. I want that poster. I want the queen. Queen Elizabeth. I want you. Me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so great. Love the queen. That's how that's how he was able to write the things he wrote without getting thrown into the tower yeah true true sure he he tread a very fine line of hiding his critiques of not necessarily well monarchy a little bit he also played to the masses by making fun of puritans everybody hates puritans come on certainly speaking truth to power through comedy yes exactly and the idea of using fiction to kind of cover up, you know, critiques of society and at, at the time also is a big thing in a lot of different stories. And I think I th- I don't know if the MCU does that quite as much, but uh, you know, inevitably everything is kind of pulling in something of the zeitgeist of its times, right? Where you're getting a little bit of that tone. Well, certainly one of the, the one of the great powers and pleasure power and pleasures of of, of Black Panther was um, was that Killmonger was right, as they say. You yeah. know, it's, right, yeah. when your villain has a great point, and apparently I haven't seen Wakanda Forever yet, but apparently the villain in that one also has a great point. They're they're talking about serious issues in a superhero movie, not not just serious issues, real Im- issues, important issues within the context of a superhero, which is also the greatest aspect of science fiction, is that you can talk about the modern day by setting it in the future. Right. So it's safely in the future. Shakespeare did the opposite. He talked about his modern day by setting it safely in the past. And so he could say he had plausible deniability. I'm not talking about the queen or any regents that are in power now. I'm talking about those bozos several hundred years ago. Duh. Yeah. Right. Or whatever the Shakespearean equivalent of duh was. (laughs) What what is that? <laughs> well, and this is this movie so effectively grounds us in what in in at least allows us to question what this fundamental uh, sort of genetic inspiration toward patriotism is. What is a patriot, right? right? Yeah. And in this movie, we have the war effort, and so you know we get to have those feelings. But the fact that the next Captain America film takes us directly into amplification of the modern war and have some serious questions over the power and authority of government and government overreach and spying and all those kinds of things is exactly that. Like we know now, like just watching that movie, that it feels like the present, but it's not our present, but it's present adjacent. Yeah, and we get to make some commentary. So this th- without this movie, that movie doesn't have the, the resonance. 100 percent. Yeah, 100 percent. Uh, yeah, I really love that movie, the Winter Soldier movie, too, uh, for different 
different reasons than this. Different, yeah. Do you have a, um, you know, something we always ask everybody, do you have a favorite Captain America moment from any of the different films or, I mean, even comics? Or comics? I don't have one from the comics, but again, I was more of a uh, Superman-Batman kid. Um, um, But what I did love about Winter Soldier is that I heard I, I heard it said, I read it somewhere, that the Captain America Winter Soldier was what the Superman movies should be. You know, talking about what does what does an innately good how does an innately good person navigate a complicated world where even people on your side are maybe not the best humans? Right. And um, and that that tension, that conflict, I guess I have a lot of great moments, but there are a lot of favorite uh, cap moments on your left is great. But also the stuff he has with um, Thor. I see you've copied my look or, you know, just the throw <laughs> the throwaway comic moments are the ones I sort of treasure. And on your left isn't a throwaway. That is clearly built in. Yeah. But yeah. um it's that attention to storytelling detail I I really love. And and Chris Evans generally plays goodness in a way that is appealing and not boring. Which is I would imagine hard to do because trying to just be a good person, I, I think that was kind of the superhero or the Superman uh, concern is that this character is just so innately good that he's kind of a bore and there's not really much exciting about him. And, and that is, you know, I think they managed well enough in the movies and, you know, I think Christopher Reeve carried a certain presence that was enjoyable, but yeah, I think yes. uh, Chris Evans brings kind of that, that comedy to it. And I think also has allowed that sense of playing out of time a little bit that has also kind of helped that character. For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. I get that one. Yes, right? that's such a great moment. Oh, I, know I know that, that reference. Yeah, right, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those fish out of fish out of water bits are, are yes. important. Yeah, fish out of water. That's an entire genre. That, that's another part of cap. Yeah, very much. Uh, this seems as good a place as any to wrap this episode up. What a fantastic conversation we've had with you, Austin. Um, tell everybody uh, where you are online and uh, where they can learn more about what you're up to. Um, I, uh, you can find me, uh, still, uh, for the time being on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram too. I'm, I'm on all, I'm on all the social media platforms, uh, f- funded and run by billionaires. Outstanding. At least we know where the line is drawn for you. <laughs> yes. Right. I have no list. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I have no line, right. clearly. Um, <laughs> I also have my own website, Reduced Shakespeare Company's website, ReducedShakespeare.com. I teach Shakespeare. Or my play, I've got a bunch of plays published. I've written pop-up Shakespeare, which is a fantastic, fantastically handsome book. And I had nothing to do with its handsomeness because I'm not the artist. I'm just one of the writers. Um, but it's really a fun reference book for uh, for children, as they say, of all ages. Um, you can also <laughs> find me on my personal website, uh, theshakespeareance.com. Well, we certainly appreciate having a conversation with you about this, taking some time out of your day. Uh, it's been a thrill. We definitely appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It's always fun to talk to you. And I, I, I hope I have enough to say for some of your future movies. Here, here. Uh, well, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Minute 115, talking some more of the credits uh, with another guest. Uh, so until then, thanks as always, Pete. Uh, tomorrow we have a date. Well played, sir. 
No, nothing. My Shakespeare doesn't. Well does, played. Okay. Well, <laughs> there's always tomorrow. <laughs> and tomorrow. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. And tomorrow. Oh, victory. <laughs> Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. <laughs>